0: well. I've been so excited about Isaiah and I continue my excitement Uh, what we've seen in Isaiah so far uh, is probably par for the course of how the first half of the book uh, goes we we kind of have the tendency to break Isaiah into two parts the first 39 chapters being judgments chapter 40 through 66 about comforts uh, of of the people but you'll have noticed already in chapter 1 that it's not that strict that while judgments are proclaimed there are these messages of hope that there's going to be restoration, that God has been gracious. In the first chapter, three times we see God coming in and saying, but, but God has intervened, that God has acted. And we saw at the end of chapter 1 last time that we should have been the end of the nation. The silver has become dross, but rather than throwing out the metal, God says, I'm going to refine you, I'm going to cleanse you, you're going to become my people yet one more time. And, and that continues here in chapter 2. with now a reversal, a message of hope in the first few verses and then a declaration by God as to why these judgments are coming upon them. And so for tonight we will break our reading then in two pieces. We'll first read the first five verses and we'll look at this message of hope that God offers and make some points about that. And then we'll look at the reasoning behind the judgment from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. So there's the roadmap for you is how we'll go Isaiah chapter. 2 if you have your Bibles there. And that is page 567 in the Black Pew Bibles that are in front of you. Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah 2 verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that he may walk, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so we have this beginning sequence of the arrival of the glorious kingdom. You will notice the imagery as it begins here in verse two, and he says, It's going to come up come to pass in the latter days. And that is a prophetic phrase. The last days or the latter days. You'll read that a lot in the prophetic messages. And it is looking forward to a day of a messianic age, days of either the Messiah himself arriving or the Events that surround the coming of the Messiah, and typically then depict then this new era that is going to come. There is going to be this new time that will arrive as God is going to deal with His people in a completely different way. And one of the things that we'll see in Isaiah's prophecy is that it pictures repeatedly a new relationship that God will have with Israel, but not just simply to them alone. But there is a change of relationship. ...to the nations. And we're going to notice this as we move through this very chapter, that here is this great messianic age, and it is going to be a whole new time, a whole new era, a glorious time of God's kingdom, where everything will change in terms of God's dealing with Israel, as well as with the world. And you'll notice an interesting image there in verse 2, where he says that it's going to come to pass in the latter days that there's going to be the mountain of the house of the Lord. And then it continues in verse 2. And it will be established as the highest of all the mountains. Lifted up above all the hills. That the mountain in prophetic language frequently refers to kingdom. It refers to power. And I'll show you that in just a moment. That when you read about the mountain of the house of the Lord. It is an image of the kingdom of God arriving. The power of God arriving. Listen to Daniel... In his prophecy, where he explicitly traces the meaning of this mountain, Daniel chapter 2, where we see there Nebuchadnezzar has this uh, amazing vision of a statue with a variety of different metals. And you see there in verse 31 You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you look, the stone, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet, on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so here is this strange strange picture, this enormous statue, various metals, a stone... Not cut by human hands Then comes along and smashes the statue With all of its metal into such pieces It's blown away And notice what happens to the stone The stone turns into a great mountain And notice what that mountain does It fills all of the earth Now Daniel then goes on and gives the explanation of that And he says there now in verse 40 And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all things. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold... A great God is made known to the king What shall be after this The dream is certain And its interpretation is sure And so here is Daniel using that mountain image Lots of the prophets use the mountain image In fact Isaiah is going to use it a few times As we move through our study of Isaiah And so I want you to see what then Isaiah is telling us of this image Is that here is now the kingdom of the Lord This great mountain But it's going to be lifted up again against all other mountains. It's going to be greater than all the other hills. And so it's a picture of all of the powers, all of the kingdoms are going to be smaller and subjugated to this great kingdom that's going to come down the road. And notice what transpires with this kingdom. You'll notice in verse 2, it says there, All the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples are going to say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God. Here is a picture that when this kingdom is established, this mighty mountain, there is going to be a desire for peoples all through the nations, not just Israel, but throughout the whole earth, All of them are going to desire to come to this kingdom. And the question that would be leading into this is why? Why are all the nations desiring to come to this kingdom now? Why are they going to be seeking this great kingdom and come to this great mountain? Well, notice the description that's given here, very powerfully given, verse 3. They're going to say, come up to the mountain of the Lord of the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths There is going to be a desire by people to want to be taught by God. They are going to throng to this kingdom because they desire to learn the ways of God. And then they're going to want to do what God says. And so he says, let's go to that mountain. Let's go learn the ways of God that we may be taught it. And we may know what to do and walk in its paths. Verse 3 continues the imagery. It's because out of Zion shall go the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so here is the picture that instruction is going to come out of Zion. The kingdom is going to be the place where God's law will then burst forth and people will desire to come into that kingdom because they want to know God. They want to know His ways and they want to walk in His paths. And so this is a a powerful picture because it contrasts the people who are living in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah. These people don't want to do what God says. The first chapter has revealed it. You are full of sins. The iniquity is just to the ends of the earth. Your hands are stained with blood. And you don't desire the Lord. But here's what God says. Rather than just wiping you out, God is going to be faithful to His promise. He's going to raise up this kingdom. But people who seek the Lord, people who desire to learn the ways of God and people who want to do what he says they will be in this kingdom and it won't be a bunch of people like what Isaiah is dealing with who think they're in God's kingdom they are in Israel and yet they don't care about the ways of God. And they're not seeking the law, and they're not learning what God desires of them. He says, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a glorious kingdom, and God is going to teach them, and they are going to learn, and that is who belongs to the people. And then he goes a little bit further in this imagery as well, and showing submission to God in verse 4. He'll judge between the nations and decide disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn of war anymore. The people are going to follow what God has to say. They're going to listen to His judgments. They're going to do what He decrees. They'll no longer follow their own personal judgments and their own decisions. They will abide by God's decisions. And so here is Isaiah Painting this picture of who belongs to this glorious new kingdom People will want to learn of God They will want to know His ways They will want to do what He says And they will submit to His authority And submit to His judgments And furthermore, an interesting picture of what this kingdom looks like With this imagery of nation not lifting sword against nation anymore This kingdom is going to be different Because it's not going to be defended Nor will its borders be extended by fleshly means. Instead, its borders will be defended and extended by spiritual means, by the word of God. That is the picture that is being given by preaching this message of peace, this message of reconciliation. That's how people are going to enter into this kingdom, and that's how the kingdom is going to expand. And so here is this beautiful image that verse 5 would say, here's Isaiah. Come, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Do you see what God is preparing? Do you see what God is working? That He is preparing this glorious kingdom and it is open for people who will seek Him, who want to learn, who want to know of His ways, who want to do what He says, who want to expand the borders of the kingdom, who will submit to His just decisions and judgments. This is what God is preparing this glorious kingdom. I want you to consider that at the end of Luke's gospel, you read then Jesus speaking and telling them that this is how it's going to go in just a few days. As Jesus says to his disciples, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, then he said to them, "This is, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, watch it there, beginning from Jerusalem. This is what the prophets spoke of. This was what the message the prophets were declaring. Here is Jesus saying, all of the prophets must be fulfilled. I must come, I must suffer, I must die, I must be raised three days later. But don't put the period there. And guess what's going to happen next? The message of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord is going to go out to all the earth. Here we saw the picture of Daniel. this stone turning into a mountain that fills the whole earth. But it's all going to begin in Jerusalem. This is where the word of the Lord is going to begin. And then he continues to describe how his disciples now will be witnesses of this great event. As they will wait and receive power from on high from Jerusalem. Here is this proclamation. And so we see in Acts the arrival of the kingdom of God. But it's not just simply a point in time. It is an extending beyond that the kingdom arrived. There as we see there in Acts 2 But the message continues to be proclaimed To all the nations, to all peoples But it all began here With this picture as described for us here That it would all begin in Zion And that people will flow to the kingdom That people will seek the Lord And they will desire to do what He says Now verse 6 Is a dramatic change of tone And we're going to get used to that with Isaiah. Isaiah likes to do this in these first 39 chapters. He gives you hope, and then he gives you some judgment. And then he gives you some judgment, and then he gives you some hope. And so now, here are the judgments. And so here's the problem that's now going to be laid out. Let's read from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with those children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock, and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord, and from the splendor of His majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower and every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away. And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes in the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath for of what account is he alright what a picture here we have Isaiah describing now Here's what happens when the glory of the Lord is misplaced. Instead of glorifying God, putting their trust in God, relying upon them and following them exclusively, instead... They have misplaced that glory, misplaced that trust, no longer following the laws of God. And so you'll notice some pretty serious words. Verse 6, he begins by just simply saying, you've rejected your people, but he explains why. Why God has rejected these people. And notice the four statements that are made here. The first one is in verse 6. Because they are full of things from the east and are of fortune tellers like the Philistines and strike hands with the children of foreigners a very simple picture my people act like the world They've made covenants with other nations. That's what it means to strike the hands. They've shaken hands with the nations, made covenants with them, and they are acting like them. And that's what he says, that they're full of things from the East. They're just like the Philistines. They're acting just like everybody else around them. And so here God comes on the scene and says, the reason I've rejected my people is because you're not my holy people. You have no difference. You're not separate. You don't act any different. In fact, you act just like them. You look like them. You do as they do. You make covenants and treaties with them. And so I can't accept you as my people. It is a tremendous caution to us. Do not be people who act like the world. A constant reminder to us through the New Testament about worldliness and how Peter reminds us how we are to act differently from the world such that people would look at us and think it's strange that we don't participate in the same things that they do. First Peter chapter 4. And so it's a picture that Isaiah is giving here. My people act just like the world and therefore they cannot be my people any longer. Number 2 verse 7 Their land is filled with silver and gold And there is no end to their treasures They put their trust in wealth Their heart has been stolen away from the Lord And now they rely upon their wealth And we read that when we read the prophets We see this problem repeatedly As they were prosperous and wealthy As they grew in all of that wealth and success They turned their hearts away from God And they looked at their wealth and said Well this is because of my own doing And so they trusted in it They looked at it and said Well these things are mine they're all mine. They're not from God. It's by my hand, by my power. And when I have my wealth, that I feel comfortable. I feel secure. But when I do not have my wealth, I no longer feel secure. And here's God saying, you're not my people because you're not trusting me. You haven't surrendered to me. You don't rely upon me. You're relying upon your wealth. You think that will deliver you. You think that is going to give you your comfort. Number three, the middle of verse seven, their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Now, you may read them and go, now that sounds a little strange, but they're trusting in their armies. Their land is full of horses and chariots. We don't need the Lord anymore. We are a powerful nation and we can survive against any foe that will come against us. And so who needs God? We are powerful within ourselves. Oh, how easy it is to do that very thing. Oh, we are the superpower. Oh, we have all all the might, And everybody thinks that we're number one. And we lose sight of the fact of how God can easily take any nation down, just as we read in Daniel's prophecy, and raise up yet another. And so he warns them, you're not my people because you're not relying upon me for your physical security, your national security. You're relying upon your own security, your own physical armies. Notice this is what Moses warned the people This is exactly what Moses warned the people Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 14 When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you And you possess it and dwell in it And then say I will set a king over me Like all the nations that are around me Here's our worldliness picture right here I want to be like all the nations around me I will be just like them, act like them Don't want to be different You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. Here is Moses just predicting what would happen. You're going to put your trust in being like the world. You're going to put your trust in your wealth. You're going to put your trust in your armies. And God is telling them from the start, don't do that. Do not rely upon the physical. Don't rely upon these circumstances that are around you. Which leads to number 4, verse 8. Their land is filled with idols They bow down to the work of their hands to what their own fingers have made. They trust in their own ways. They trust in these idols to deliver them. These things will provide them comfort, satisfaction, and ease. And I want us to consider what these things ultimately boil down to is the problem of pride. Did you notice how Isaiah boiled it down to that? Did you see that in the next verse, verse 9? Here's the problem man needs to be humbled. You're trusting in yourself. When you rely upon your idols, when you rely upon your wealth, when you rely upon your armies, when you rely upon your worldliness, you are full of pride because you think you can deliver yourself. You think that you can survive. It is arrogance, it is pride on our part when we think That acting like the world is going to bring us joy and satisfaction and happiness. It is arrogance and pride when we trust in our wealth. As if we have any control over the amount of wealth that we have. I think all of us have experienced the... Awfulness Of just when you think you're about to get ahead Just when you think you're stashing something away Something breaks every time And you get right back to where you were again Just when you think you're about to get somewhere You fall back And just when you think you're about to drown You you get through As if we have any control over wealth And yet we arrogantly trust in ourselves To think, oh well I've got this I can trust in my wealth When it is always fleeting, it is always passing, and is never there as a security like we think. It is arrogance and pride on our part to trust in our armies, as if this nation will last forever. In the scheme of history, this is a short-lived nation. And when you read the Old Testament, I always do find it interesting that most nations lasted between a ballpark of 200 to 400 years. So take that for what you want. But I always find that interesting that God has never allowed any nation in the Old Testament to just go on and on and on and on. One rises, one falls. One rises, one falls. To rely upon our political power, to rely upon our military might. Is completely foolish For when our time has come God will bring us down And raise up yet another And it is arrogance on our part To rely upon our own idols To rely upon whatever it is That we see in our life As giving us satisfaction or security Because it always lets us down In fact, notice the point That is made in verse 11 Notice how strongly it's declared The Lord alone Is to be exalted in that day he gets all the glory. He gets the praise, not our idols, not our wealth. And what God says here is He is going to take that pride. He will take that arrogance and He is going to shatter it. He is going to completely smash it. And that's what verses 9 through 11 describe. Verse 11 The haughty looks of the man will be brought low, the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. God will not stand for our arrogance. When we think that we can trust in anything but him, God likes to show us otherwise. And that's what he says he's doing to these people. He says, you're my people. This was my holy nation. And yet you've taken your heart and trusted everything else around you. And so because of that, God will bring judgment and shows them. I will bring you low to show you that these idols and these things that you trust... Have no power and no might whatsoever And that's within verses 12 through 17 So beautiful there's such great imagery there Where he describes these enormous trees The cedars of Lebanon The cedars of Lebanon are biblically renowned For their enormity He says I'll crush those I'll bring those The highest of mountains I'll level those Every high tower your fortified walls I'll smash them It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing stands in the face of the greatness of God. And so notice verse 17 is a repeat of verse 11. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. God will receive the glory that is due Him. And it reminds us that that no one will be in the kingdom of God who does not exclusively glorify and exalt the Lord. You see that's what Isaiah is prophesying This is how it all started First five verses There's a glorious kingdom coming And all the people are going to flow into it, people who want to know the ways of God, people who want to seek out His ways, who want to do what He says, who want to submit to His judgments, and want to extend the borders of the kingdom through the message of peace. And who belongs to that kingdom? Not the arrogant, not the people who trust in their idols, not the people who trust in their wealth or their armies or whatever it is. Only people who exalt the Lord in that day, for He alone will be exalted. When we trust in anything else but the Lord, we are described here by Isaiah as not being in that kingdom. We have put our trust in something else. It is a serious warning that Isaiah gives as he prophesies of this great kingdom and reminds us what we need to do. And he proves it to us. Look at verse 18. The idols shall utterly pass away. Can I tell you something? Every single time these idols let us down, Wealth lets us down, power lets us down, success lets us down Our nation lets us down Everything that we value, everything that we think is so important Everything that we are dependent upon always lets us down There is only one thing that does not let us down and that's the Lord Everything else disappoints, every person disappoints There's nothing that does not let us down but God And so he says, "The idols are going to pass. Why are you relying upon these things? In fact, I love verse 22. Verse 22 just really just brings the sledgehammer down as the final nail of this prophecy. Stop regarding man. Why? Why are we trusting in ourselves? That's what Isaiah is asking. Why would you have any regard for yourself? Why do you think you are important? Because there's only one thing in you breath there's no lasting value to trust even in ourselves we're just a breath and we experience this on a regular basis who we like to assume we will have this going concern and we'll always be alive and we'll go out on our terms when we're good and ready and he reminds us there's only one thing that we know about humanity and that it's a breath, and it's gone in an instant. So why would we trust in ourselves for deliverance? Why would we rely upon ourselves to think we can get through this life? We have no control. We cannot even trust in our own actions, in our own selves. Instead, we must trust in God. Look how verse 22 ends. For what account is he? Who are we? Who do we think we are? Bad enough to trust in metal, trust in paper, trust in concrete, trust in all of these physical, tangible things. But then to trust in breath? For that's all that humanity is, and of no account. And so it's a powerful warning to us that we must trust in God. We must put all glory to God. And to step it a little bit further, Isaiah says, only those who trust in God are a part of this kingdom. To trust in ourselves, to trust in our might, or to trust in any of our creation is a false trust, a false God that God will eradicate as he brings all the arrogant, prideful, and haughty things low. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews speaks of this as we conclude. I just want you to listen to the very beginning, because I think that's probably the part that we kind of can go by really quickly. But the writer of Hebrews speaks something very powerful. As Isaiah is looking forward to this coming glorious kingdom, this Zion. That all the nations will flow into. The writer of Hebrews, after giving so many warnings, says, You have come to this Nile. You're part of this glorious kingdom. This kingdom has arrived. The Christ has come and brought it, established it. And it is shattering nations, shattering kingdoms, conquering lives. You have come to it And it's not just simply physical Listen to what it is To the city of the living God The heavenly Jerusalem To innumerable angels in festival gathering To the assembly of the firstborn Who are enrolled in heaven To God The judge of all And to the spirits of the righteous Made perfect to Jesus The mediator of a new covenant And to the sprinkled blood That speaks a better word and the blood of Abel Put God's ways into practice Isaiah's calling for it Walk in the ways of the Lord Walk in the light of the Lord Look at the glorious kingdom And I hope what you'll do is as we Especially as we go through the study of Isaiah Feel the excitement Of what Isaiah's prophesying is going to come I want you to feel the anticipation of You're going to be judged, but guess what? Redemption, restoration, glorious kingdom is coming and it's available to people who will come into it, who will flow into it, who want to be taught the ways of God, who want to learn about Him, who want to do the things that He says. And here we stand in the year 2012 and we get to receive what those in the past were hoping would one day come. We get to participate in what they were anxiously looking for, what they would long for, what they were looking into. Here we are, and it goes, writer Hebrew says, you're part of it. Seek the Lord. See what you've entered. See how glorious His kingdom is. And when we understand and cherish and desire the word of the Lord, God made a promise here in Isaiah 2, I'll teach you my ways. I'll teach you what you need to be. I'll change your heart. I'll cause you to be what you need to be so that you can be in a relationship with Him. And that's God's glorious promise. And the promise I want to leave you with tonight. Decide to want to know God, to learn His ways, to see how good He is, and seek Him with all of your heart. And He says, you do that, you're in Zion." You've come to something glorious You've come to something special You're a part of something that is amazing You've come to forgiveness of sins You've come to the blood of Jesus You've come before the presence of God You are participating in something That everybody else wants to belong to But it doesn't happen by accident Isaiah says this new kingdom belongs to people who seek Him Who want to learn of Him Who want to belong to Him And so we call for you to make that decision tonight. Decide to belong to the glorious kingdom of God. To turn away from your sins. To no longer live for self. To no longer trust in your idols. To no longer believe that you are in control of this life. Or in control of the future. To recognize that only God is in control. And to put your complete trust, your complete surrender, your complete sacrifice into His hands. He is the Lord, the Almighty God, the Lord of hosts. Surrender to Him. He promised you that I'll exalt you in that day. I'll give you all that you need and the glorious thing to be able to be with Him forever, eternally. Once you turn away from your sins? Be immersed in water and have those sins washed away and belong to that relationship. Once you come while we stand and sing this song?